Lift and shift, lift and shift. I want to put that on a auto repeat. Lift and shift, lift and shift. <laughs> you could restore it all. Welcome to BackupCentral.com's Restore It All podcast. This is your host, W. Curtis Preston, a.k.a. Mr. Backup, and I'm the chief technologist at Druva. My co-host has 15 years of technical experience in the storage industry, and we're lucky to have him as Druva's director of product architecture. I'm super excited to have him on the podcast, Prasanna Maliandi. Great to be here, Curtis. Happy to have you. Speaking of Druva, we should state the opinions you hear on the broadcast are our own. Let's get started. Today, we're talking about different ways that people start using the cloud for backups. There's a perception, however true or untrue, that the cloud is going to somehow help people save money. They can, right? Oh, yeah, they can. It's just they need to rethink what are they looking to do and how do they take advantage of the cost of running things in the cloud. So let's talk about the different ways that people are using the cloud today for backups. The first thing I remember is being told that some products were going to start copying some backups up to S3. We have a lot of companies that are doing this today, but I remember the first time I I heard this, and I have to be honest, the first time I heard this, I said, well, that's a dumb idea. I've never been a good predictor of technology. I also thought the iPhone was a bad idea. Oh, Curtis. So if you put your backups in S3 or something like S3, you do get the separation of the data from your data center. Does that make sense? Yes. That is one benefit that you get. And typically also, if you look at S3 cost-wise, it's usually cheaper to put it in S3 than to keep it running on a local appliance. I'm glad that you specified that because it's not cheaper than tape, for sure. A lot of people think it is. Maybe it might approach it. But if all we're doing is replacing Iron Mountain and some tapes, I I am not sure that it would be cheaper than that. So that was the first thing that people do. And some people do it now and they also do tiering. And that's kind of going back to the tape comment you mentioned earlier. With older backups, they don't see as great a need to do local restores or quick restores. They need to store the data for compliance reasons, just like what you would have used tape for. So instead of offloading it to tape, they say, now I can tier my older backup, say anything older than 90 days, off to S3 for cost reasons and just keep it there for, say, seven years or whatever my retention period is. And would they put it in S3 or would they put it in Glacier or in Frequent Access or the new archiving tier? That's a great thing about putting it in cloud storage is there's all these new tiers, lower cost tiers coming out all the time. If you look at the recent announcement, at least on the AWS side, one-tenth of a cent per gig per month for Glacier Deep Archive, which is ridiculously cheap in terms of storing that copy versus keeping it on-premises in your appliance. I think that approaches the cost of tape. It definitely approaches or maybe even supersedes the TCO of tape. So that is a benefit. But so this is a good thing, putting your data in another location. I don't have any problem with that. The difficulty I have is getting that data back if we're thinking of this as a DR situation. 
That is correct. Usually with a lot of these solutions, you end up either having to spin up a copy in the cloud of that appliance or backup software in order to be able to access the data you have stored in S3. Or the other approach is you spin up a local copy and now you have to restore your data and pull all your data back from the cloud in order to be able to access the data that you need. So I think it's a good first step. It's not that copying some of your backups up to S3 or something like S3 is a bad idea. I think it's just, it's baby steps. Exactly. And one other thing is, if you think about it from a storage appliance perspective, as people were moving to the cloud and appliance vendors didn't want to be left behind. The easiest things for them to integrate with was, let me just move some of the storage into the cloud and think of it like another tier or another storage class within my appliance. And that's probably why you saw a lot of these starting off with tiering. So the next thing that we're starting to see some companies do is is the idea of taking a copy of your backup server software and running that in a VM in the cloud. And I think that would best be described as lift and shift. (laughs) You stole the words right out of my mouth, Curtis. I was just going to say, lift and shift, lift and shift. I want to put that on a on an auto repeat, lift and shift, lift and shift. <laughs> <laughs> but yes, there are some vendors and some customers who are okay with saying, take whatever is running on premises and run it in the cloud within the same instance. Say, for instance, if you're taking an on premises backup software application and running it in the cloud, now take that application and run it within an EC2 instance running in Amazon. So, what's wrong with that? It sounds perfectly fine. I get to use the same backup software that I know and love. It's now running in a VM in the cloud. And maybe I have some sort of management console that I can manage my cloud instance. And I probably also have an on-premises instance. So what's wrong with running my backup software in a VM in the cloud? A couple things. Just from a philosophical point of view, when you're going to the cloud, you're trying to optimize, become more efficient. Taking what you have on-premises, which was intended for dealing with the complexities of your environment and all the specialists that you had and now running it in a cloud environment, may not make a lot of sense as you're trying to move forward. I like to use a car analogy. When you have a backup server that you own, and you back things up with, you basically own a car. And when you take that backup server and you put it in a VM in the cloud, what you've done is you've gone from owning a car to renting a car. But just like a car, you don't need a backup server 24 by 7. Hopefully, you do not need a backup server 24 by 7, right? Backups run typically in the middle of the night. Sometimes they run throughout the day. If you have some backup products are able to do quick backups throughout the day. But even if that's the case, those backups run for a couple of minutes and then shut down. Does that make sense? That does. So how many hours out of a day do you think a typical backup server is actually needed. Probably six hours. Yeah, we'll go with six hours. Maybe even maybe even 10 hours if you've got a really inefficient backup system. But that means 14 other hours. You're renting that VM when you're not using it. The other thing is that because you've moved backup software into the cloud, that backup software is going to expect in the cloud the same things it had in a data center, which is normal storage. If I have a backup server and it wants to store its backups on a file system, what is a file system going to expect 
to hold its data on. A block device. Exactly. Which means we need to use EBS in the case of AWS, right? Enterprise block storage. Which is much more expensive than S3 storage. I believe that the least expensive version of EBS is twice the cost of the most expensive version of S3. So now you are renting this VM 24 by 7 when you only need it a few hours a day. Your backups, at least the primary backups, are being stored on EBS, which is the most expensive storage that Amazon offers. This is why you don't do lift and shift, because when you move your backups into a VM that runs this way, it ends up being much more expensive. Does that make sense? It does. And I just want to add one more point there as well, Curtis. You forgot the point about maintenance. Once I'm running in the cloud, I still have to worry about patching and everything else I had to worry about on-premises in the cloud as well. So going to your car analogy, it's like I rented a car. I'm still paying the maintenance every time I take it to the shop for an oil change or new tires. I'm still paying all of that, even though I went to rent the car. Amazon is not going to maintain that system for you. They're not going to patch it for you. They're not going to patch the backup software. They're not going to patch the OS of the backup server. Also, the other maintenance you're going to be responsible for is the growth of the storage that is holding your backups. The other thing about block storage is that it needs maintenance. Block storage and volumes and file systems historically are not auto-expanding. We have to deal with all of those things that we had to deal with in the data center, but now we're just dealing with virtual storage. It doesn't automatically grow. That's correct. So you now have all the complexity still that you had on-premises by trying to match into this cloud world. I heard somebody the other day say, it's like you get all of the downsides of the cloud without any of the benefits. (laughs) (laughs) That sounds about accurate. Exactly. So the next thing I think we can both agree is a trend in the computing world is the sassification of everything. Salesforce was the first big example here, but there are dozens, if not hundreds of other SaaS services. And people, I think, are pushing backup software companies and backup hardware companies to SaaSify their products. And so what we're seeing is backup products now being offered as a service in the cloud. So the next way that we can get backup software in the cloud is to pay for it as a service, but underneath what's happening is essentially the same lift and shift approach, except now the backup vendor is managing those things. Do you think that's an accurate description? That seems accurate. If I go back to the on-premises world, I remember many, many years ago when everyone was looking at cloud and traditional IT on-premises, it was like, hey, we want the sort of reduced OPEX and simplicity that Amazon offers, and we want to be able to offer to our business units and end users within the data center. And I remember them bringing in like managed service providers who would say, okay, we're going to run all your gear for you. And you don't have to worry about it. We'll make it look exactly like what you had in the cloud, but we'll do it on-premises. Now, of course, this comes with a cost issue as well, because you're not going to get the same scale. You're not going to get the same agility and speed that, say, an Amazon would have versus what you run on-premises. So it's kind of like covering up some of the flaws of what you already have in order to be able to make it look like something else. So it has all of the downsides of the method we mentioned previously It's just that some of those downsides are being hidden by the vendor, which, of course, they're going to do that for a 
price. But architecturally underneath, you still have the inefficiencies of running a VM 24 by 7 and using EBS storage as your storage. From a cost perspective, their COGS, as we say in the vendor side, cost of goods sold, their COGS are going to be higher than they might need to be. And so their price to you is going to be even higher. Exactly. Makes sense. Some listeners might be listening to this and say, well, that's how you do it. You are you anti-cloud? Don't you work for a don't you work for a cloud backup company? Why are you so anti-cloud? We're not anti-cloud. We're just we think that there's a more efficient way to do this. And so we do things very differently at Druva. So you want to provide an overview of, of how we do things? Sure. At Druva, we are a complete native SaaS solution built on top of AWS Cloud, where we aren't doing the lift and shift that Curtis had talked about previously, we are actually leveraging cloud and optimizing to provide to our end users a managed backup service at the lowest price point possible. So for instance, leveraging a lot of the native AWS services like DynamoDB, S3, and other classes of storage in order to provide the performance requirements and capabilities that customers expect of backup today. So we don't do the things previously mentioned. We're not running VMs 24 by 7 for a customer. We're running VMs only when necessary. We have a bank of VMs that that go up and down in terms of the number of VMs we're running throughout the day that go up and down throughout the day in order to meet the current backup load. No more VMs than is necessary. So we save costs there. And that doesn't affect the customer, right? Because we are the ones who are managing and exactly. optimizing. Right. So we're, we're managing. So, so the customer never sees this infrastructure. The only thing they see is a GUI. They see the interface on the web that they manage their account and what things they'd like to back up to us. This all this stuff we talked about behind is is happening via magic, right? So we have the backup servers the storage nodes, as we call them, spawning and going away as necessary in order to meet the performance needs of currently what's happening. And then the next thing we don't do is we don't store customer data on EBS. None of our customer data is stored on EBS. Where do we store it? S3. Exactly. We store it on S3. Now, it's interesting some of our competitors, they talk about S3 as a place to put older backups. And the reason they do that is they say that S3 isn't as performant as EBS. How do we address that? I think it's a self-fulfilling prophecy. They don't think of S3 as, as being high performance. And so they treat it as a low performance device. And because of the way they treat it, it's a low performance device. What I mean by that is they take large chunks of data, big backup images, and transfer those into S3. And when they're transferring things out of S3, transferring a large backup image. We don't work that way with S3. We slice data up into little chunks or shards. If you look at when we're backing up a file, we chop that file up into little chunks of data, each of which gets run through a hashing algorithm to give us a value that we then use to dedupe all of those blocks. And then we store that individual chunk as an object in S3. 
And so when we go to do a restore, we're not questing one giant blob. We are asking for thousands or tens of thousands of little objects. And we can do that simultaneously. And as a result, S3 becomes much faster than anything our competitors are doing. I think one of the other things to mention as well is also... When you are starting to use S3, a lot of folks just assume, oh, for S3, it's whatever Amazon shows me as my price point. But what people don't also take into account is there is also request pricing that also gets added into S3, depending on how many times you are putting an object into S3 or taking an object out of S3. And that cost can be up to 40, 50% is what we've seen on top of the storage costs that you see with S3. And I think this way that I described of how we use S3 is another perfect example of when you design for the cloud, the cloud works better. We design our backup servers for the cloud, so they go up and down as necessary. And we designed our storage for the cloud, so we're using object storage the way it's really meant to be used, which is lots of little objects, not just a place to put a big blob. And we're also, another service is DynamoDB. So what, why don't you talk about what we do with DynamoDB? Instead of storing everything on disk and dealing with performance and all of these extra costs, we actually leverage DynamoDB in order to store all of our our metadata, which allows us to have quick access to the metadata, which is crucial when you're trying to figure out what files do I restore, what blocks do I pull up, everything becomes more instantaneous. So th this is just another example of how we design for the cloud. There are, in terms of modern backup products, there are basically two ways to use the cloud. One is lift and shift take the same backup software that you run in your data center and move it into the cloud. And I will say that has one advantage, which means you can use the software you already know and hate. <laughs> no one, no one loves their backup software. You, you can use the backup software you already know and hate, but at least you're familiar with it. And you can move that into the cloud or put another instance in the cloud. And you can now get some of the benefits of the cloud, the biggest one of which I would say is physical separation of your backups from your primary. But you get a lot of downsides because you're now renting your infrastructure and renting infrastructure is a very expensive way to have infrastructure. You might argue that that there are other benefits that you don't have to manage it from a physical aspect. You don't have to have data center and cooling and all of that stuff, but it is definitely a more expensive way to go. There's no doubt about it. Having a VM in the cloud is more expensive than having a VM in your data center. That's one way. And then there is our way, which is programming to the architecture of the cloud, using the cloud the way it's meant to be used, which is things like automatic tiering, automatic scaling, and using VMs when you need them, but not using them when you don't need them. And the benefit of that is to, again, reduce costs. So you get all of the benefits of the cloud and none of the downsides. And I just want to add one more there as well, Curtis, right? It is a fact that if you look at Amazon, they are releasing features at such a rapid pace. If you want to be able to stay at the cutting edge, right, it is good to partner with and build on top of those services that Amazon is building. That is something that I neglected to mention, and that is that we can add new features very easily because we are a true SaaS product. So other products, you have to get the latest version of the software, upgrade your backup server, and then eventually you will have that functionality, which is why other companies, when they 
produce a new feature, it takes a year to a year and a half before their customers are actually using that feature. In our case, we come out with a new feature and within weeks, our customers are using it in the field because we can do that. So that's a really good point that you brought up. So I think we've beat this topic to death. So with that, I want to thank our listeners for joining, and I hope you enjoyed this podcast. If you did, then make sure to click subscribe so that you can hear more. There was a file, but I deleted it. Too bad your backup system isn't worth a spit. Finally, I needed your backup. You had a chance to fix it, instead it's all jacked up. See how I'll write on Facebook about you. Don't underestimate the things that I will do. There was a file, but I deleted it. Too bad your backup system isn't worth a spit. It'll be completely done Maybe 